Are you an accredited investor looking for a new opportunity to generate passive income and build the retirement of your dreams? Then elevate your investment game with Viking Capital, where wealth meets wisdom. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, Viking Capital can help guide you towards financial freedom through passive real estate investing. With strong and transparent underwriting, Viking identifies low-risk opportunities with the goal of preserving investor capital and maximizing long-term growth potential. And their accessible and responsive investor relations team will help you understand how each investment will impact your unique financial goals. With $800 million in assets acquired, more than $230 million in equity raised, and more than 5,000 units under management, Viking Capital is your path to early retirement. To learn about Viking Capital's latest investment opportunity, which is available for you right now, visit go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best. That's go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best to get started today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, Promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. I don't think you can show up as a syndicator or a capital raiser or anything and ask for money if you haven't been able to show up and build trust and credibility in what you've been doing up to that point. So leverage your strength and reach to that well because those people know like and trust you already. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guest, Randy Smith. Randy is joining us from Peoria, Arizona. He is the founder of Impact Equity, a fund to fund manager that helps W-2 employees decrease their dependence on W-2 income. Randy's portfolio consists of being an LP on 18 deals and a fund-to-fund manager on $1.75 million. Randy, thank you for joining us, and how are you today? I am doing really well, Ash. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It is a pleasure to be here. Randy, the pleasure is ours. Before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? 
Yeah, absolutely. So kind of as you mentioned, you shared a very high level overview of my bio, but I am a recently departed W2 guy and I was in corporate America in sales and sales leadership for 25 years or so and was an active investor in single families out of state for a few years did a Burr strategy, turnkey strategy, and then shifted over to passive investing just a couple of years ago. And what really drove that was that I was trying to grow the portfolio, increase my passive income, and it seemed like passive investing as an LP would be a great way to do that. So fast forward a couple of years, got laid off from the W-2 and decided to go back to the active space, but focusing now on the syndication model and partnering with a couple syndicators to help bring investors to the table. Are you happy that you got laid off? I will tell you the initial shock was a shock. I will say that. But after that, I'm very excited to be doing what I'm doing right now. And I think it was a blessing in disguise, quite frankly. Randy, what was the plan if you didn't get laid off? Were you just going to keep the side hustle? Yeah. Ultimately, I think I kind of had the perfect mix there where I was a high W-2 income earner and I would get large bonus checks every quarter. And I would essentially take 75% of my bonus check and funnel that off to passive investments. So every quarter I just invest in another deal and I was working on diversifying across markets and operators and asset classes. So it really just gave me the funds to keep investing very aggressively in this space. What qualifications did you look for when deploying capital into a passive deal? Yeah, great question. That seems to be the superpower that I'm building or have built, I guess, over the last few years. So first and foremost, I always look for operators that have full cycle track record. If they've done a handful of deals full cycle in the most recent economic cycle that we're in, that I'm pretty pleased with that. I'm not necessarily looking for folks that have been doing this for 20 or 30 years across multiple economic cycles, because I find that while those are generally fantastic operators, at times we start to see the returns that they offer start to fade a little bit. So I think you pay as an investor to get that highly seasoned operator. So I look at operator, I like to dig into the numbers with the underwriting, and I try to spend as much time as I can doing due diligence on that operator. If somebody doesn't have a track record, how do they get your attention? Everyone has to start out somewhere, right? So a couple of different ways I go with that. One is everybody has a track record prior to coming into this space. So I think that people who are going to be top performers in this space most likely were top performers in previous roles, in previous organizations. And I was on another podcast where I talked through this process. I interviewed probably thousands of salespeople during my time in a couple of different Fortune 100 and 200 companies. And I got very good at looking at somebody's history and really trying to tell their story and figure out what are the holes that they're not putting into their resume or on their LinkedIn profile and really digging into those spots. And I've got this mindset that I think if somebody's willing to fudge the numbers or maybe bend the truth slightly on a resume or a LinkedIn profile, I think it's highly likely that they might do that in other areas of their business as well. So I like to really dig into those and ask some of those hard questions when I'm looking at their history. Interesting. So what are some telltale signs that you ask operators and it kind of foreshadows how they're going to perform? So I think just getting a good understanding of how they've performed in the past. If you see that folks were with organizations for long periods of time, 
if they had a lot of accolades, if they got referrals and recommendations throughout that process, if they had awards. I think those are all things that you can dig into to find out about how they performed in those other roles. Where I start to get a little concerned is if I see gaps in employment or I see gaps in things and people respond in different ways. Either they'll say, well, I worked with this organization for a short period and didn't want to put that on there, or I traveled the world for years or whatever it might be. There's always some kind of odd answer that they'll give you that I like to dig in and find out really what's going on there. And as that relates to GPs, what kind of questions do you ask and what kind of holes have you found in people's story? The GPs route, I really like to ask the question, tell me about a time when things went wrong, when things didn't go as planned, when you ran into some challenges that weren't necessarily in your performa and how you responded to that. I've had a number of different operators, believe it or not, that have just simply said that they've never had problems like that before. And if that's the case, either one, I think they're lying or two, they've not been in the business long enough because as you know, if you're in this space for any amount of time, things are going to go south at some point and how you respond when things get difficult is the true indication. Anybody can make money as the market's blowing up and your rental rates are going 15% year over year. But when things get a little bit tougher or you run into some city issues or some tax issues or a place burns down or something like that, that's when you truly find out what these guys are made of. Thank you. That's a great next question. Randy, tell me a time where things didn't go so well. You had challenges, things went south. What happened? Touche, by the way. Thank you for asking that question. (laughs) I had an interesting situation where I worked for a Fortune 200 company. I ended up switching and moving over to a Fortune 100 company, doing the same role that I had done in a previous role, which was phone sales manager is what I was. So I got into the new organization and it went fairly well for a while. But at some point, the numbers were not where they were supposed to be. And ultimately, I ended up getting demoted and had to move backwards in a role. And fortunately, I worked for a fantastic leader that tucked me away for a few months. And then I ended up promoting very quickly, which ended up being my dream role that I stayed in for about nine years. So it was one of those situations where my ego had to show up to work, suck it up, take a step back, realize that I could be very good at the position that I was leading for years and years. And then very quickly, I was able to be recognized for those skills and promote again. Let me be more specific on that question. Tell me a time that you had challenges or things went south as it pertains to being an LP investor or a fund-to-fund manager. So I'm still fairly new in this space. So far, I've been helping syndicators for the last six months or so in this space. And I guess the only things that have been challenging up to this point are some people who make soft commits that don't follow through, which is just the nature of the business. Actually, one kind of funny situation, I was using a CRM tool that my account got flagged for some reason the day I was about to launch my second deal. So I had to scramble very quickly and find a new CRM tool build the email automation into that tool and get the deal launched in one day, which would have probably taken me about a week to do prior to that, but I had to do it on the fly. So in the end, I was able to take what was a fairly big obstacle for me starting this new business and turn it around and ended up with a better tool and a better solution in the end anyways. Got it. So today with all of your sales background and education background, do you help syndicators 
with raising capital as well? Yeah. So the term capital raiser is one we don't label ourselves as. What I've done specifically is I have run a fund to fund model, not a fund of funds, where it was a single asset that I was raising where my investors would actually invest with me. And then we'd turn around and invest those dollars in a predetermined, already identified asset with one specific syndicator. And then the second business model that I've leveraged is actually getting a portion of the GP where I get to be involved with asset management as well as raise capital and bring investors into that organization as well. It seems like a lot of multifamily syndicators are fairly equal in terms of returns. What are you seeing for returns today? And we're end of November, 2022. Yeah, I kind of joke about this. I think that there was a learn how to be a syndicator training that had a deck that said 16 to 19% IRR, we've got a five-year performa, and we're going to give you four to 8% cash on cash. So that seems to be the standard returns that everybody is talking about in this space. I think what's more important than what actually shows up on their on their investor deck is what they've actually performed and what they've done in the past. And you'll see a wide variety of returns on different investments from different syndicators. It's interesting to see that there is a population of syndicators that have an offering that is specific to that investor that is just simply looking for six to eight to ten percent returns. That's all they're really looking for. And there's a large population of syndicators that will offer those type of returns to them. And then there's that other population that talks about the very high IRR value add play, which I think it's a better solution for the growth investor, which most of the investors I'm working with tend to be growth investors. Yeah. They want to make money, not part of money. money. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. mentioned the playbook that a lot of syndicators seem to have come from. None of these playbooks mentioned rates doubling what they were a year ago. How are you handling that? And how are you qualifying GPs in today's rising rate environment? Yeah, love it. Great question. So ultimately, I think there were a lot of players in years past that might have rate locks for one, two, three years that a lot of that stuff's going to be coming due now. I think we're going to see a lot of deals that end up going back to market, possibly lower than or what they initially purchased for because of the rising cap rates. What I like with a couple of the operators that I've worked is they carry very, very large reserves and they are fully integrated so they can control costs much more directly in their operations. And it's interesting. It seems like there's two different mindsets where you'll have operators that like to overraise. So they have these big cash flows and they can start paying distributions right away. And then you've got the folks that'll sit on the sideline and not pay distributions for 6, 12, 18, 24 months until they've completed their value add strategy. So personally, I would rather have syndicators that have deals that have deep pockets and have extra dollars sitting in reserves for this specific situation where there's a lot of uncertainty over the next six months to who knows how long potentially. And I think once we start coming to the end of those rate caps, it's going to be a very interesting marketplace. I love that you brought that up. What are your thoughts on that? People raising extra capital just to pay back investors. So I'm paying $100,000, but I'm paying an extra 10 just to get that 10 back. 
it depends on what standpoint you're looking at it. If you're looking at it from the syndicator standpoint, and actually, quite frankly, from the investor standpoint as well, the impact on IRR to raise additional funds to pay distributions for the first 12 to even call it 18 months is so minuscule. We're talking maybe a half a percent IRR when you consider a three or five year performa. So the added benefit that you get by having those extra dollars in the bank far outweighs maybe a half a point that you're losing in the IRR on the backside. So for a guy who is a little bit more risk averse, I sleep a lot better knowing that those bank accounts have maybe a couple extra zeros in them personally. Yeah. Interesting perspective. And thank you for sharing that because a lot of people are appalled that they're raising extra money just to give it back. Yeah. But what you said makes a lot of sense. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you a real estate investor looking to break into the multifamily investing space? Have you heard of MFIN Con happening in Charlotte, North Carolina, June 12th through the 14th? The Multifamily Investor Nation Convention is a place to learn from over 60 high-level apartment investors while networking with more than 700 additional investors. If that's not enough for you, A-Rod, yep, Alex Rodriguez, 12-time Major League Baseball All-Star with over $700 million of commercial real estate assets, will be live and in person speaking at the event. Also speaking is the one and only Dr. Robert Cialdini, the godfather of influence and the award-winning author. I personally love his books. So be sure to secure your tickets to this live in-person event before they're gone. Go to MFINCon.com for more details. Sponsorship opportunities are also available. Visit MFINCON.com today. Use the promo code BESTEVER to get $200 off your tickets. That's MFINCON.com. Everyone is looking for a recession-resilient investment. How can you try to prevent Prevent from losing money by picking the wrong fund and sponsor? Right now, you can get Reliant Real Estate Management's free guide, 10 Things to Consider in a Real Estate Investment Fund, by visiting besteverreliant.com. Answer questions like, is the organization's focus on you? And does the fund keep employees? Reliant Real Estate Management is ranked one of the top 20 largest self-storage operators in the country with $1 billion in self-storage assets. After completing three funds, and selling 38 properties with $0 of investor principal loss. They have an average project level IRR of 33% in just over 3.5 years. Visit besteverreliant.com right now to receive the 10 things to consider in a real estate investment fund and get access to their latest investment opportunities. That's besteverreliant.com, B-E-S-T-E-V-E-R-R-E-L-I-A-N-T.com. What have you seen in terms of syndicators experiencing pain today with this rising rate environment? Ultimately, we're starting to hear about operators. I personally have some operators that I have invested in, not folks that I have actually raised capital for, but I have folks that I have invested in that I am coming up on 18 months without receiving a distribution when the expectation on the front end was three to six months. I am hearing quite a bit that some of the smaller operators or maybe some of the operators that grew too fast, too quick without the infrastructure in place, that we're starting to hear about capital calls coming into play. And then of course, deal flow has all but shut off. So deals are much harder to come by. I think we're going to start seeing groups look at new markets that have a little bit different offering than what they're used to in the past. but. 
moving into new markets is going to require new infrastructure and new relationships and new history to rebuild that track record in the new market. So lots of interesting things going on right now. Which is why it's important to have somebody like you that qualifies these GPs. And I love what you said about being vertically integrated, especially with supply chain issues, but being able to control your timeline, your resources, your tradespeople, all of that, very important. And the experienced larger syndicators who've all bought rate caps and are prepared for a rising rate environment, very, very important. What made you want to start a fund of funds model? It's a good question. And honestly, about two weeks prior to me launching the new opportunity, I didn't even know that that was an option or that it was something that I would even look at. So in my experience or in my history, ultimately what had happened is I had invested very, very heavily with one operator here in my home market of Phoenix, Arizona. And I am one of the guys that I like to shout it from the mountaintop when I find something that I like. So I told anybody and everybody that was listening what I was doing as a passive investor. So I was able to refer a very large number of investors to this operator that I had been investing very heavily with. So when I got the word about my layoff from corporate America, I had a conversation with the operator that I had been investing with, and he suggested that we take a look at this as an option. And he provided a ton of support. He really just kind of handheld me through the process. And we learned, or I learned that I could very, very quickly turn on a business, provide the value that I had been sharing with all of my friends and family up to this point, and make it a little more professional and get a logo and a website. And the business was launched. And from there, the idea that I could actually bring a ton of educational content and a ton of value to that new traditional investor to help them understand and see the benefits of passive investing that literally it's not impossible to think that within a couple of years, a high earning W-2 income earner can go from that model to work optional or leave their W-2 in a fairly short amount of time. So how does that happen? How does that happen? First and foremost, you make that first investment. Either get educated or get trained yourself on how to find and do due diligence on operators and deals and markets and asset classes, or find somebody that has invested the time and energy and money to do that themselves and have the experience and partner with them to start your investing journey in the space. And my goal is to help a large number of people make that first, second, and third investment. Because once you have a few investments under your belt and you're getting your distributions and you're seeing monthly communications and you're starting to understand this business model, the array of opportunities just opens up dramatically. Simply listening to your guys' podcast alone and reading the book, the best listeners, ever Bible, <laughs> the best ever Bible, literally it gives you everything you need to know to be fully equipped to become a passive investor and, and start that journey. What happens after the third deal? that they invest in? Well, of course, after the third deal, there's going to be the fourth and fifth and 10th and 20th and 50th, hopefully. So my hope is that I build enough education and assist in in enough way that we'll continue to partner. But there are a lot of different deals out there, a lot of asset classes, and everybody's got their own unique path. So it gives them the education that they can at least start to branch out and find all kinds of different opportunities. How often do your investors receive communications? 
monthly, quarterly? Yeah, good question. So current investors get monthly updates about their specific investments from my operators. I've only worked with operators that do monthly updates. My business, Impact Equity, is not filling their inbox with 30 emails a month about education content or attend this event or do that. I send out one newsletter per month saying, here's what we're doing at Impact Equity. And secondly, here is a podcast we've been on, the content we put out there. We put it in one email. I don't want to put two or three or five or 10 emails per week in, in their Thank inbox you. just to fill it up. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. So I do one a week in a newsletter. And if they are accredited or sophisticated, then they will get notification when those type of details are published. Randy, do you take the communication from the syndicator and break it down and then parse it or forward it to your investors? Or do you just forward it to the investors? Yeah. So in both situations, both partners I'm working with, the actual partner or syndicator themselves handles the monthly communication with the updates about the assets. Got it. Okay. In terms of asset classes, multifamily has been compressing for a long time. It's getting harder to find deals and not a lot of people anticipate this rising rate environment. Are you looking to pivot into other asset classes? Yes. So ultimately my goal is to have three or four different operators that I partner with and have the intent of putting one deal per month in front of my investors. My goal is to offer diversification across operators, diversification across geography or market, and diversification across asset class as well. So I personally am invested in mobile homes in addition to multifamily, self-storage. I am in an ATM fund as well, which is just amazing cash flow. But I love industrial. I'm looking at short-term rental. I like build to rent. So it's just a matter of really testing the appetite of my investors to see where their interest is and then aligning with the best operators in the space to provide those options. And to play it safe in this environment is bigger, better, the bigger operators, the more experienced operators, or if there's a newer, smaller operator that maybe offers higher returns, would that get your attention? Ultimately, I'll look at anything, but for me, it's going to come down to track record. I worked for two very large, well-respected brands for well over 20 years. So I'm a big brand guy. In fact, that's why I invested with Joe Fairlish in your organization for my second investment, because you're a big brand. I felt that while I might not get the very best returns with the biggest brand, I felt confident investing in your organization because the infrastructure's there, the support's there, the resources are there. So Historically, I like big brand, large organizations, but I won't discount somebody who I think is just a superstar rock star that is up and coming if they can show prior experience in history, being a top performer in whatever they did coming into the space. You have decades of experience in sales training. Which skills have you brought over into your capital raising environment? Good question. So it all comes down to relationships ultimately, but how you manage and facilitate those relationships, I think is really important in this space. This is not a hard sell space. So hard closing people on investments, I think is a terrible, terrible idea. I think it all comes down to relationships. You hear the, you got to know, like, and trust somebody before you invest with them. 
And to a certain extent, I agree with that, but I think it takes more than that as well. I think this investment journey is extremely personal. And that first investment out of traditional investment is very, very scary. So being able to handhold, provide guidance and support, and just understand this is a very, very big decision for these investors. And these are hard-earned dollars, dollars $100,000. Some people will save for a large, large, large amount of time to come up with those type of dollars. So it's critically important that we're very, very serious and very, very confident in our ability to place that capital without putting it at more risk than the returns would require. What do you see capital raisers doing wrong? I see a lot of people throwing a lot of deals out there. And I think it's just a nature of the market right now. Capital is much harder to come by where every operator out there, maybe not every, a lot of operators out there are having a hard time finding capital. So they're bringing on a lot of different folks to raise capital for them. And I don't always believe in the due diligence process that some of these folks have gone through that they'll meet somebody at a meetup and then the next week that they're raising capital for them. And my relationship with my investors is too important for me to just put any deal in front of them. And it's interesting. At first, I was only going to put deals in front of my investors that I personally had had history, invested with, had received distributions, communication, and had a longstanding relationship with them. I only had a handful of folks that I had that type of relationship. So I felt that that was actually hurting my ability to put good deals in front of my investors. So I've broadened that slightly to where if my superpower truly is due diligence and vetting operators and vetting deals, and if I'm willing to put my own dollars into that investment, I feel confident putting that in front of my investor at this point. That's a very important point. I've had a number of capital raisers approach me and wanting to put their investors' funds into our deals. They ask no questions. We've never used them, but they claim that they do all this due diligence, look at all the numbers. They literally look at nothing and want to put in hundreds of thousands of dollars into deals. So how do you qualify somebody like you? Because they're all going to tell you they do the due diligence. We look at the numbers. I know I can trust this operator. We have experience. How do I qualify you? If and when I'm a syndicator myself, because that is likelihood that that'll come down the path for me in the future, I will vet all partners the same way. And that comes down to track record. What you've done in the past is a good indication of what you're going to do in the future. So myself, I personally have invested in 18 deals across four different asset classes with eight different operators that I've got my wife and our families, 75% of our entire net worth is tied up in these deals at this point. So I'm putting my money where my mouth is. And it's interesting you ask that question because I know a lot of capital raisers that have never invested in a deal before. So they don't know what it's like to go down to the bank and tell your bank that I'm wiring $25,000, or $100,000 and see the look on the bank's face when they say, you know, there's a lot of scams out there where people will get this wiring information and they wire it overseas. And that's a very uncomfortable conversation to have with the banker. And if you've not done that before, you can't possibly be compassionate about that with your investors as well. So back in the days as a sales guy, as a sales leader, it was important that all the sales leaders had carried the bag before they start leading salespeople. And I think it's the same thing here. You have to have invested your own dollars, done your own due diligence, 
in order for you to have the credibility to ask the same for your investors. Randy, we hear a lot about funnels and MailChimp and all these different tools and CRM systems to raise capital. What are some quick tips that you can give maybe syndicators on increasing their capital raise or being more effective? When I first launched my business, I had, as I mentioned, 25 years, corporate America. I had used LinkedIn for networking aggressively for the last 10 years. So people I had worked with, people that were my clients, people that I was networking with for the last 10 years. So that was my network. So I sent a message to everybody I was connected in in LinkedIn using some very cool automation. And literally within days, I had hit my target for my first raise. Literally, I had conversations with people that said, Randy, you helped me so much at X, Y, and Z. Anything you're doing, I'll throw a hundred grand at. That's the best compliment in the world. Some of these people I hadn't talked to in years. So I don't think you can show up as a syndicator or a capital raiser or anything and ask for money if you haven't been able to show up and build trust and credibility in what you've been doing up to that point. So leverage your strength and reach to that well because those people know, like, and trust you already. Great advice. I've had some people say, Randy, what's the trick? What would you suggest I do as a new capital raiser? I'd say, first of all, go be a sales and sales manager for 25 years and then launch your capital raising business. And you'll Come be on, all Randy, set. We, we want shortcuts. Yeah. Sorry. There's not, you know, <laughs> there's just not. Yeah. Randy, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Make that first investment. That's it. Get started. I waited far too long before making my first passive or active investment. I wish I would have done it 10 years earlier. Is now a good time to get into real estate, Randy? I think every time is a good time to get into real estate. There is always a way to make dollars in this space. I agree with you. Randy, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Can't wait. All right, Randy, what's the best ever book you recently read? I'm a big, big fan of Dan Sullivan, Benjamin Hardy. Who Not How is helping me a ton with my new business right now. So Who Not How. A big game changer for a lot of people. Randy, what's the best ever way you like to give back? Good question. I had to give this some thought. My wife and I used to give pretty heavily to some very specific organizations. And we shifted gears in the last year or so where we're actually giving very heavily to our family and to those closest to us because they were there when we needed them in the past and just provided amazing support to us over the years. So we're really trying to help those around us the most. And Randy, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? Easiest way to find me is on LinkedIn under Randy Smith, or you can always go to the website impactequity.net. And I've got a great free giveaway, top 10 questions to ask syndicators to put your name and phone number in the lower left-hand corner. Randy, thank you again for sharing your time with us today. 25 years in corporate America and that layoff really prompted you to accelerate your real estate career. Thanks for sharing all of your tips with us as well. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Really, really appreciate and respect what you're doing as well, Ash. Thanks for all you're bringing to the community. Thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day.